0: Today on Something You Should Know, could driving while dehydrated be just as dangerous as driving while intoxicated? Then, some great ways to get everything done without feeling overwhelmed.
1: Stop using the word overwhelmed and stop getting into conversations with people about how overwhelmed and busy you are. We wear busy like it's a badge of honor. You don't get bonus points for being more busy, nor you may notice you get more done.
0: Also today, loneliness can be very painful, and I'll explain why that is actually a good thing. And just how good are you at reading other people and figuring out what they're thinking?
2: We think we can read other people's minds, and we think they read ours. We think that they get us. And so, you know, I don't really need to tell them that because they'll know that or they'll get that about me. I guarantee they probably don't. Quite a good idea to tell them.
0: All this today on Something You Should Know. Something You Should Know, fascinating intel, the world's top experts, and practical advice you can use in your life. Today, Something You Should Know, with Mike Carruthers. Hi, welcome to Something You Should Know. As the weather warms up, it becomes easier to get dehydrated. And it turns out that if you drive while you're dehydrated, that may be just as dangerous as driving while intoxicated. Scientists tested dehydrated drivers and found they made double the number of errors compared to those who were properly hydrated, but roughly the same number as someone who had consumed the legal limit of alcohol. They found even mild dehydration can have a negative impact on mental functions, from reduced concentration and alertness to changes in mood. While we recognize the dangers of drinking alcohol in driving, it may be just as important to stay hydrated while driving. The recommendation is at least 6.8 ounces of water an hour. And that is something you should know. There are two types of people in the world, it seems. Those people who are really busy, yet they get it all done, and they seem to have it all under control, And then there are people who are really busy and they seem overwhelmed by it all. They're constantly talking about how busy they are and their life is so chaotic. So how do you make sure you're one of those people who has it all under control? Well, here to help is time management expert Sam Bennett. She's author of a book called Start Right Now, Where You Are. How Little Changes Can Make a Big Difference for Overwhelmed Procrastinators, Frustrated Overachievers and Recovering Perfectionists. Hey, Sam, welcome. So if we were to take those three groups of people in your title, Overwhelmed Procrastinators, Frustrated Overachievers, and Recovering Perfectionists, and we we throw them all in a pot, what percentage of the population do you think we're talking about?
1: Well, from the amount of head nodding and hand raising and smiling, I see when I say the title, I'm going to go like 90%. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right, I think. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're all in that, just about in that group somewhere.
1: Yeah, and some of it, you know, has to do with the amount of self-punishment that's involved. I mean, I think a lot of people call themselves procrastinators, when in fact, it just hasn't been the right time yet. You know, you can you can go a little easier on yourself sometimes.
0: Still, though, there are a lot of people who seem really busy and stressed out by it. So, So what do you think the problem is? What do you see the problem as?
1: Well, one of the problems I hear most often is this word overwhelm, and I hear it more and more, more in the last couple of years than I've ever heard it. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so overwhelmed. And, you know, overwhelm is when everything feels like it has the same level of importance. You know, when everything's just kind of coming at you at the same with the same tone, with the same rush, with the same ping, 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 that's when we feel overwhelmed, when we can't discriminate between what's important and what's not important. So to understand that, in fact, it's a choice. Overwhelm is a choice. It's a choice you are making to not discriminate <laughs> about all the information that's coming at you all the time.
0: But it but it does seem, though, uh, if just speaking from personal experience, that sometimes a lot of things really do seem to have the same level of importance. It needs to be done now. And I keep telling myself, yeah, but you can still only do one thing at a time. So even with those things, you're going to need to prioritize them. But but that feeling of overwhelm that everything has the same importance sometimes feels very real.
1: It does. It does. It's a very, very convincing illusion. And... You're exactly right that you can only do one thing at once and I would actually urge you to step one take one step back even from that and make sure that you are taken care of. Make sure that before you try to do anything you are fed and rested and meditated and cuddled and walked and creatively satisfied. You know, this this concept of self-care, you know, shows up a lot in women's magazines and stuff, but really It's about making sure that you are calm in the center of your life. And when you get that way, then it's much easier to discriminate between what's important and what's not. It's much easier to prioritize. You have a sense of humor. You're flexible. You can listen when other people are talking. You have good ideas. But when you let yourself be constantly in output mode and you're constantly putting out fires and you're constantly dealing with everything and you're stressed out and exhausted and have no sense of humor – well the rest of us have to deal with you like that and you get into, which is exhausting and you get to the state of diminishing returns but
0: if that's how you have dealt with things for a long time it's wonderful to tell people to take care of themselves calm down take a break but they don't and and what they, instead what they do is they'll do that when they're done and that's what they convince themselves is what that's when that's when I'll br- take a break and take care of myself when I get everything done. So how do you get somebody who doesn't think that way to do what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, partly that was my issue, too. And this, this belief that, like, I'll wait and be happy in the future. I'll wait and rest in the future. I'll wait and be contented in the future. This is a big um, lie. You know, we think, oh, if I just get this amount of money in the bank account, or if I just hit this goal weight, or I get this gig. And it's not true. And especially if you're not taking care of yourself, even if you do hit the goal weight or get the gig or get the money, you're not in a very good position to enjoy it. So the power in your life is in, is in this moment right now. So to adjust your mindset in this moment right now, to take a breath in this moment right now, and easy stuff like get your cell phone out of the bedroom. Give yourself back that moment of waking up. You know, that minute like before your eyes even open and you're not anybody, you know, you're not anybody's mom, you're not anybody's boss, you're not, you're just you and your mind is sort of wavy from dreams and, you know, it's a beautiful time and there's a real lovely feeling and like letting yourself just wake up and roll over and cuddle and doze and like give yourself back the gift of just that minute or two of waking up. There's nothing happening on your phone that cannot wait another couple of minutes while you start your day in a civilized manner.
0: Even though you think there is.
1: Even though you think there is. There is. And it's a trick cuz you know, we love, you know, we love to do things for other people and we love to feel busy and accomplished and like we're checking things off the list and um Simon Sinek uh writes very eloquently about that that endorphin hit that we get, you know, when and that ding someone needs me, you know, my message app has pinged. Uh, but I really urge you to turn that on its head and take care of yourself first, even just in the sense of taking a deep breath, and and then move forward on all the projects and all the people who need you.
0: But that staying in bed and enjoying it for a minute and taking a deep breath are momentary band-aids, but, but what about a more of a, a long-term approach to fixing this?
1: Well, that's the funny thing about it is those little band-aids, those little moment-to-moment, one-degree shifts create long-term effect. Like sometimes the question, what do I want, can feel kind of overwhelming. You know, like, what do I want? I don't know. What do you want? What do you want me to want? What can I do for you? Like that's really, you know, it's hard to ask ourselves sometimes the question, what do I want? But to ask the question, how can I make this moment more me? How can I make this moment right now more me? How can I make this conversation more me? How can I make this outfit more me, this email, this dinner, this, you know, whatever it is I'm working on? Like, how can I just show up just 1% more? How can I be just 1% more authentic and real and present in this moment right now? And the more, it's a tiny shift, but the more plugged in you are to your own self, your own natural human beingness, and this present moment, the more people will start to respond to you, the different kind of results you'll get. And you've had this experience, like, you know, you're in line at the grocery store or at the airline counter, and all of a sudden you have like a really human moment with somebody. You know, you make eye contact or somebody makes a joke and it's like, oh, right, right. We're just people here in the grocery store.' <laughs> like're right. just pe- and all of a sudden the whole tone changes, your whole day can change, your whole life can change, but not if you're not there for it.
0: I can imagine, though, some people saying, well, what the hell does she mean by be more me? What the, You know, I mean, yeah, maybe you say hi to somebody in the grocery store, and that again, that's a nice little momentary distraction from your day, but, but it, it seems like this is a, a deeper thing, that to be more me, well, well, I don't know what that means. What does that mean?
1: Well, I think it's going to be different for every person. So for some people, it's going to mean showing how seriously you take things. For some people, it's going to mean being as sarcastic as you are or being as funny as you are or being as, as kind-hearted and complimentary as you are. You know, whatever it is, those things that you do, that person you've always been, you know, that you have ways that you are in the world and people tell you about it all the time. Oh, Mike, you're so insightful. Oh, so-and-so, you ask such good questions. Oh, you're so funny, right? So just lean into those things just a little bit more. You know, who am I? Well, I'm a friendly person. Oh, good. Maybe I can look for a moment. To, how can I make this email that just one degree more friendly. You know, or actually I'm kind of a cynic, you know, I love, I, I think of the dark side all the time. Good, how can I lean into that? How can I make this moment just a little bit more, you know, bring bring that to light just a little bit more because we need all of it.
0: And the result is what, and and more importantly, how do you know that, may, how do you know this works? How, I mean, it sounds good. Is, is this just a theory or... How do you know this, doing the things you're talking about, really has some sort of lasting impact on people?
1: Well, I know it took me from, you know, crying on a tattered couch in Sherman Oaks, California, earning less than $20,000 a year to, you know, mid-six figures, and I live by the beach— and I spend all day doing work that I love. So I know it worked for me. Um, and I know it's worked for, for thousands of clients. It may not, you know, but I don't claim that to have the solution for everybody. But you could at least try it. I mean, we all know how painful it is to not be us, to feel like our authentic self is not welcome, to feel like we're not showing up fully in our lives. We all know the pain of that, right? I used to have that. I had a day job where I felt like, like I was leaving half of myself at home. And that was really depressing. So try it. You know, if it doesn't work, then stop. <laughs> but it's just a little bit and just for a minute. So give it a whirl.
0: So for the person who fits the description, who's overwhelmed, who uses that word a lot, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed, uh, give me a place to start. I mean, you've given me lots of places to start, but, but give me one easy place that somebody who's identified with what you're talking about could, could do right now.
1: Stop playing overwhelmed poker. Stop using the word overwhelmed and stop getting into conversations with people about how overwhelmed and busy you are. Like, we wear busy like it's a badge of honor. And, you know, you don't get bonus points for being more busy. Nor, you may notice, you get more done. You know, and this, I hear it all the time, this, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so overwhelmed. I had to be up at this hour, and then I had to go take the kids, and then I had this at work, and then it's like you're just... You know, at church, we used to call that praying the problem. You know, you're not looking for a solution. You're just looking for sympathy around the problem. Let's, let's talk about it. A bit, you know, look at this problem. Look at this problem. Look at this problem. Um, instead, take some responsibility for it. If you're, you know, if you're busy because you're doing a lot of things that you'd love to do, then say that. Say that.
0: My guest is time management expert Sam Bennett, and her book is Start Right Now Where You Are. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners' or renters' insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. So I think a good question right here is, where do you start? How do you put your toe in the water? Because I can understand that some people might say, well, you know, this all sounds good, but I don't know where to begin.
1: I um, like to put a time limit on things. So I tend to return uh, phone calls, emails, even text messages. I will often wait 24 hours to respond because I don't want to train people to expect that they can always hear back from me right away. I'm not available all the time. I have office hours. I'm available during office hours. If you contact me outside of office hours, you're not going to hear from me until the next day. And that takes discipline. You know, I'm a I'm a solopreneur. I'm an author. I'm a writer. I've got, you know, it's really just me here. <laughs> And I have that feeling just as much as anybody else does of like, oh, I've got to get back to them right away. It's like, no, no, I don't need to contribute to the franticness. They'll, they'll still be there tomorrow. It's okay. It's okay.
0: Yeah, and, and I think people who who suffer from being so busy being busy uh, look at those people who actually take a day to return an email and wonder, you know, what the hell's wrong with them? I mean, how uh, how nice that would be to be able to do that, but some people just can't go 30 seconds without responding to an email. And, And yet, wouldn't it be nice if you could actually take that deep breath and say, that
1: can wait? Exactly. Exactly. And to spend just a little bit of time every day on the projects that matter most to you. And, again, I know, it sounds, I know people are going to hear that and go, like, oh, that's selfish, that's selfish, I couldn't do that, that's selfish. It's actually the opposite of selfish because when you spend time doing the stuff that really lights you up, and whatever that is, maybe it's a couple of minutes of playing guitar or maybe it's doing some writing or doodling or um, you know, or running or praying or whatever it is you like to do, when you spend just a little bit of time every day doing that, You're lit up, and we can see that. Then we get to see this part of you that's engaged and that loves life and that is in doing fun things where, you know, your whole day isn't just an obligation, but there's joy in it. And then the things that are obligations become more joyful. You bring that joy into those moments as well.
0: You know what I'm hearing here, and that's kind of interesting, is that, you know, people don't realize that that, overwhelm and that busy being busy thing is in many ways self-imposed, but they don't see it that way.
1: That's right. And taking a hundred percent, you've got to take a hundred percent responsibility for the results of your life. It's, it's you, you know, people say, Oh, I'll get to it when it's not so crazy, crazy you know, honey, the crazy is not out there. The crazy is you, (laughs) you're the one saying yes to all this stuff. You're the one responding to things every day in the way that you do. And, you know, it's an important part of growing up is learning to self-manage and to say, you know, I will keep my cool. Uh, I will keep my commitment to what I know is important to me.
0: There are people, and I think I, I see myself in this sometimes too, that, you know, by by having a crazy day and doing a million things and feeling overwhelmed when it's over, it feels great. It's, you feel like you've accomplished so much. And if you really de-stressed your life, you wouldn't get that end-of-the-day high that feels so good.
1: Oh, I wouldn't confuse the, the deep satisfaction that comes from productivity with uh, adrenaline. Those are two different things. And the adrenaline rush does, does feel kind of good. And I, I, I'm a busy bunny myself. I mean, I wrote and published this book in 11 months. I mean, I'm, my first book was called Get It Done. I mean, I love to get things done. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm suggesting, I'm not suggesting you reduce your productivity at all, um, but rather be busy without the story of busy. So be busy like, like a trapeze artist is busy right? You just go smoothly from one thing to the next thing. Like a a neurosurgeon is busy, you know, concentrated, clean, with some grace, you know, be busy without being rushed, be busy without being stressed. And then, yeah, you get to the end of the day and you do, you have that deep satisfaction. And people will, people will, um, be amazed. I mean, I, I just had, we just had a team meeting this morning, and one of my team members, Sam, said, "Sam, I can't believe how busy you are. Like, I was just looking at your calendar; it's crazy." And I'm like, "Oh, is it? Like, oh, I don't, I don't feel that busy. I feel fine."
0: Well, there it is, right there in a nutshell. You just, you just said it. I mean, wh- what we do is we we have this backstory going in our heads all the time about how busy we are, and and how overwhelmed we are. Uh, But still, you can only do one thing at a time. You move from A to B to C to D, and you can either do it and act all stressed out, or you can do it and not act all stressed out, and one is a lot better than the other.
1: (laughs) And a lot more pleasant for the rest of us.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Great, great. Well, I appreciate it. That's, uh, that's, uh, That's some really good insight. Thanks.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Sam Bennett has been my guest. She is a time management expert and author of the book, Start Right Now, Where You Are. How little changes can make a big difference for overwhelmed procrastinators, frustrated overachievers, and recovering perfectionists. A new year is a good time to discover new interests. And if you have kids, a KiwiCo subscription will help your child discover something new all year long. As a subscriber, you get these very cool crates delivered to you that contain fun and innovative science and art projects, and they have different ones for kids of different ages. We've been KiwiCo subscribers for quite a while now, and some of the projects that my son has created are a pinball machine, a safe, a hand pump, and the most recent one, he actually built the headphones I'm using right now in the studio. Encourage your child to be innovators and creative thinkers. They won't believe what they can build and accomplish with KiwiCo. As a parent, I know it's hard to find new creative ways to keep kids busy while stretching their imagination, especially now. KiwiCo does all the legwork for you. Get real, high-quality engineering, science, and art projects for your kids. And don't be surprised if you join in to help, as I always do, because these projects are so much fun. KiwiCo is redefining learning with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid, or kid at heart, at KiwiCo. Get 30% off your first month, plus free shipping on any crate line, with code something at KiwiCo.com. That's 30% off your first month at KIWICO.com promo code SOMETHING. You've likely heard me mention and recommend the Jordan Harbinger Show podcast before, and the reason I mention it is, well, yes, Jordan advertises his show here, and he does that for strategic reasons. You see, people who like this podcast are bound to like his podcast. He and I have a similar philosophy. In fact, I just spoke with him on the phone yesterday to compare some notes. Look, I really want you to give The Jordan Harbinger Show a listen. He covers a lot of topics with big-name guests like Seth Godin, Mark Cuban, uh, Kevin Systrom, one of the founders of Instagram. And Jordan's done really interesting episodes where he talks about his visits to North Korea as well as how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars being chased by the feds and the mafia. So, as you see, there's a lot of variety, but one constant is Jordan's ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you'll find something useful that you can apply in your life in every episode of Jordan's podcast. I enjoy The Jordan Harbinger Show, and and I'm not saying that because he's advertising. It really is good. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. The Jordan Harbinger Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Whenever you're with someone... You make judgments about them, and they make judgments about you. You get a sense of who they are. You think you know what they're thinking. What are they thinking about you? Are they happy? Are they bored? You like to think that you can grasp that information pretty quickly. But in fact, there's a good chance you're way off. Fact is, you don't know much at all about what they're thinking. But you can get better at figuring out some of it. And think of that, if you can figure out better what's going on in the other person's head, that could be very advantageous for you. Mark Bowden is here to help you figure out how to better understand people in those situations. Mark is an expert in human behavior and body language and author of the book Truth and Lies, What People Are Really Thinking. Hi, Mark. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Mike. So if I'm not very good at figuring out what people are thinking and what they're feeling when I talk to them, what's a better way? What's, what's your way of doing it?
2: First of all, you need to suspend your judgment. So my guess is, is if you're anything like me or any other human being on the planet, you make judgments about people and you make judgments instinctually on their behavior. You see somebody doing something and you go, a little voice in your head goes, oh, I know what that is. I know what's happening here. Uh, Oh, they're angry or, oh, they're happy right now, or, oh, they're sad right now. You know, you make that snap judgment, and it feels very true to you. It feels so true to you that you say things in your head like, I get them, I understand them, I'm reading them right, I know what they're thinking and feeling. It feels very, very true. Now, your judgment is either very true, very inaccurate, or something in between. The, the, the key is, is, can we get to the accurate part of it? So first of all, we need to suspend your judgment. That's not to say your judgment is not right. It could be very right, very wrong, or something in between. But in order to work out whether it's right, we're just going to suspend it, first of all. And a really quick way of doing suspension of judgment is to put the word maybe. When that little voice in your head comes, oh, they're angry, you just consciously put the word maybe after that. Oh, they're angry, maybe. Oh, they're sad, maybe. Oh, they're happy to see me, maybe. Oh, I think they're lying to me, maybe. So that's the first part, suspension of judgment. How, how does that sound to you, Mike? Do you think you can manage that? So far, so good. Yeah, okay. So the fir- next thing you're going to do is look at the context Of it, you're gonna look around the um, the information that you're getting so you're gonna look for a bigger amount of data because what happened was is your instinct saw something it made a quick judgment on your behalf mainly to keep you safe not to keep you you know just to keep you alive it went they're happy they're angry they're sad whatever it was but now you're gonna look at the context Around it, there are many contexts around it. What frame is it in? What time of day is it in? Um, uh, what's the relationship you already have? What other data do you already have about these? You're going to take in more data, so context. And then you're going to ask yourself, and what else? What else do you know? So once you've taken in more context, you're going to try and get even more data. Now, here's the problem. Your brain doesn't like to do that. It it liked its judgment in the first place. It was very happy with its judgment in the first place because it had made a snap judgment, made a decision, and you were able to carry on with your day. Your snap judgment wasn't necessarily accurate, but part of your brain doesn't really worry about that. It's not interested in accuracy. It wants your safety now, accuracy tomorrow. It's quite happy to be super accurate tomorrow and just get on with life right now. So we suspend judgment. We look at the context. We ask what else, what more data can we take in things like, um, you know, how am I feeling about this? How much could that be about me rather than them? If I think they're angry, is it because I'm angry? Am I projecting on them? And then the last part of this is you make a new judgment. Now, your new judgment based on this extra data can be exactly the same as your old judgment. That's okay. You could do a piece of critical thinking and come out the other end going, you know what? I think I was right. I think my judgment was right. But you've taken just enough time to go suspend the judgment, look at the context ask for more data you could ask yourself ask them you could ask an expert you could stop your judgment go and do a bit of research on the internet or read a book before you make your your new judgment but then you make a new judgment you put that with the old judgment and you start to think about which one you feel might be more accurate that's a simple very quick piece of critical thinking and that's what I'm asking people to do and is it likely you're right it's likely you're probably more right. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably likely that you will get closer to a level of accuracy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if you notice when you think about stuff, you know, there's your judgment, there's your snap judgment. And then you think about it. Have you ever noticed that quite often you get a better level of thinking, a better level of judgment, a better outcome, or are you better off just going with your instinct all the time? What have you noticed?
0: Well, sure. Yeah. Almost any time you're able or willing to give thought to a problem or a situation, you're going to have a, a better insight than, than your snap judgment. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I found the same. And, and human beings have found that the same. And, and that's the reason we have a neocortex. Neocortex is super uh, expensive to run. Takes a third of every breath. That you're that you take to run that neocortex, so we have to expect if if um, evolution allows us to keep the neocortex being super expensive, it must get better outcomes than not having a neocortex. So based on that alone, we just go: the more you use your neocortex, the better thinking you have the better survival rate you actually have over the long term. Now, your judgment system is designed to help you survive now, right now. It just wants your survival right now. It doesn't even care about your family's survival, by the way. It's just you. It's your your brainstem that makes these snap judgments. It's in it for you. It's not in it for me. It's not in it for your son or your daughter. It's in it for you right now. And when you stop and think for a moment – and start that critical thinking process you get a little bit more social and then you get a lot more intelligent and with that intelligence you get better outcomes and evolution tells us that modern society tells us that
0: critical thinking smart thinking better outcomes so when we look at people's body language and we make Snap judgments about oh they're bored they' they don't like me whatever whatever it is that we're sensing based on what we're seeing and and hearing it, are we usually right or are we usually wrong, or is it it's just a crap shoot we're usually defaulting to a negative for a start uh, if I were to shoot
2: that that crap and gamble with you. And I would say, okay, I'm going to get you to go and look at a hundred people, and I want you to give me your snap judgment about what those people are thinking and feeling. A hundred people, yeah, you would default to more negative judgments than you would to positive. Okay, you might tell me, hey, no, Mark, you know, I'm a really kind of non-judgmental person. I'm super positive. No. You're going to default to more negatives and positives because you're using a part of your brain that wants you safe now and to be accurate tomorrow. So when insufficient data, we default to negatives, unless on all of those hundred people you saw overwhelming evidence that they had positive intentions and it would have to be overwhelming if it was a, a toss up between they're happy or angry. You'd go towards angry. Yeah, if it was a fifty-fifty, looked about a fifty-fifty chance to your instinct. Your instinct would default to negatives. So you know that's my best answer to that. Is you know, are we accurate some of the time? Yeah, we're accurate some of the time. But then you know, clocks are accurate some of the time. You stop. Stop. Clocks are accurate some of the time.
0: And so, but when you meet somebody, like you're on a first date, you're 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 trying to read them to see, you know, oh, she likes me, or he he doesn't like me, or I. Mm-hmm. Are are we are we just wishful thinking? Because it seems more often than not, we we kind of hope we're being liked because we're, you know, we're being judged.
2: Absolutely. You're being judged if you're on a date. uh, My guess is, is you're being uh, judged around what is the potential uh, for for that person in, in a mate category? Or, you know, if not that, could we be good partners for a long, long time or certainly good friends? for a long, long time. A lot of judgments about value are being made around that. When you're being evaluated, are you super optimistic or a little more pessimistic uh, about it? If you don't know the criteria as well, so there's no set criteria because you don't know the examiner very well, so you don't know what they're examining for exactly. Uh, If you were to go into that examination, would you be very optimistic about your chances or pessimistic about
0: your chances? Well, I would think going into a situation like that where you don't know very much, I would be more pessimistic, not very hopeful, because I I don't know what's going to happen, but I assume, I guess I assume the worst.
2: And were I to gamble on this, I would gamble that most people on the planet will join you in this. You will get some super optimists. Who will go, yeah, I don't know the criteria under which I'm being judged. It's a really important set of criteria. I have no idea about the examination. I'm going to ace this one. You will have a few outliers who are like that. Yeah. And they're interesting people to be around because they're just super optimistic, sometimes not very realistic. But, you know, they can often in certain situations really get stuff done um, with no regard for the systems that they're in zero regard for them. Yeah. But I think you fall into the the majority of people on the planet, which is, I'm going to be a little bit, I'm a little bit nervous about this. So we go to dates and we're a little bit nervous because we don't, we don't understand the exam and it's an important examination. And I guess over the date, what we might be able to do is work out the evaluation system that the other person is using how are they evaluating us and and how do we fit in with that evaluation and i guess we might leak to them either consciously or unconsciously some of our evaluation system and they might go i don't really like your evaluation system or they might go i like your evaluation system and actually i fit quite i do quite well in that evaluation system and we might get a good Match around that, and in order to do that really accurately, yeah, we we, there will be some non verbal data that we can pick up on, but we're also going to have to use a lot of verbal data as well, we're going to have to talk on the date. As, as well, we, we might see some some mirroring actions. We might be able to pick up from the environment that we're in, what somebody likes or dislikes again, which is giving us this evaluation system. But one of the things we're going to have to do is use verbal communication to get a sense of how that person is thinking and feeling
0: uh, around us. Does that make sense, Mike? Sure. But everybody who goes on a date, a first date, knows that you play to the date. You don't mm-hmm. if you want to be liked, you're you're trying to put your best foot forward. You, you may be on better behavior than you might otherwise be. You're playing to the situation. And so th- the whole thing's kind of phony.
2: Oh, but that continues way into you, you know, getting get, creating a permanent relationship and the infatuation stage, which is I think what you're talking about there. That goes on for quite a while. So, so so let's just make this even worse. If you think that that just happens just on the first date or the second date or the third date, I guarantee you that happens actually for a number of potentially years until after a while the effort of – performing the behaviors that coincide really well or some of the stresses of life cause you not to be able to produce these signals that fit very, very well into the other person's um, uh, criteria for being judged as uh, valuable. And at that point within a long-term relationship, uh, you often get a sense of disappointment. It's like, who am I with? That's not who I am. So not who I married. That's not who I moved in with. I don't like this anymore. They seem to have changed. No, what you're seeing is is them when they've run out of energy to be <laughs> able to perform for this. And so the infatuation stage is is over. Um, and then after that, we start to learn who somebody really uh, is under the... the the great panoply of 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 circumstances and we learn some of the big bonuses of of that and we learn tolerance and forgiveness and all kinds of very important social human things infatuation is a really important social human thing uh, because otherwise we'd never fall in love for example we'd never have that that infatuation love at at the start that would bring people together uh, and it's not that any of that is false
0: or wrong or, or it's just a really important stage. Uh, when, when the, when you step back from all of this or the, this whole topic that you, that you talk about, what if anything is the, the one or two things that just really fascinate you or that fascinate other people more than anything else that really, yeah, if people only knew this thing, uh, it would just help so much. Oh, you know what would help so
2: much? Oh, well, let's do think of a couple of things, a couple of things, and they coincide. Uh, you can't read people's minds. You have no idea what's going on. You have no idea. No idea. You guess. It's called theory of mind. But you call that guess knowing because you, there's a part of your brain that produces, when you have this guess, it also produces a bunch of chemicals that make you feel very right about it. So you walk around the planet guessing about people and getting the feeling of you're very right about it. So the moment you know that, then you know that it might be worth now and again suspending that judgment. So first of all, you do not know what's going on in that other person's head, yeah? But you get messages to say you do know, yeah? You absolutely know. So the feeling that you have... About your mind reading, is very inaccurate. Okay, you are not a good mind reader. You're an inaccurate mind reader. And the next time you read somebody's mind and get that feeling of of ah, oh, I know what they're thinking, you're going to think back to what I said and you're going to go, no, this I, I've got this right, and, and Mark's so wrong. He's wrong. He's wrong. Yeah, he's wrong about that. I do know what they're what they're thinking and feeling right now so i just want to remind you of that that you'll you'll say that i'm wrong at the time when you feel most uh optimistic about how good you are at this Uh, and the other thing is um is that because of this you need to understand that other people's minds are not your mind we do a lot of um uh thinking that people understand us as well we think we can read other people's minds and we think they read ours as well we think that they get us. And so, you know, I don't really need to tell them that because they'll know that or they'll get that or I don't need to tell them how I'm feeling right now or what I'm thinking right now because they get that about me. I guarantee they probably don't. Probably don't get that about you. be quite a good idea to tell them. Just say, here's how I feel at the moment or this is what I'm thinking or um, – but there's a risk. There's, there's a risk to that. So so one of the things we do is kind of pretend that other people know what we're thinking and feeling because it stops us risking telling them. And then – because there's a risk because they might go, why do you? Why are you feeling that? That's That's a bit silly. Or why are you thinking that? That's completely wrong. We're worried about the rejection. So we don't often do it. Uh, If you were to remember a couple of things, those would be the things that I think most
0: fascinate me. Well, it's great to get this insight because I think people don't think about this much. We size up people, we make our judgments about other people, and it's usually done quickly. And and as you point out, maybe that's not the best way to do it. and, And with a little time and a little effort and suspending those immediate judgments, you can get a better sense of people. My guest has been Mark Bowden. He is a human behavior and body language expert and author of the book Truth and Lies, What People Are Really Thinking. And if you'd like to get a copy of that book, there is a link to it at Amazon in the show notes for this episode. Thank you, Mark. My pleasure. Great speaking to you. And finally today on Something You Should Know, The Feeling of Loneliness. I don't know anyone who hasn't had, at some point in their life, a feeling, that feeling of intense loneliness. And it's been described as feeling almost painful, physically painful when you feel that lonely. And it turns out that there's a reason for that. Loneliness is a motivator. According to Dr. Pat Love, author of the book Never Be Lonely Again, human survival has always depended on people working, living, and being together in groups. Loneliness exists to motivate people to connect with other people in order to survive. This is the difference between depression and loneliness. Depression is a state where loneliness is a motivator. And the magic cure for loneliness, according to Pat Love, is to simply show up for something that means something to someone else. It works every time. Interestingly, internet relationships do very little to help battle loneliness. In fact, there is some research that shows that cyber relationships actually make lonely people feel even more lonely. And that is something you should know. If you're sheltering in place, quarantining, or sitting around looking for something to do, here's something to do. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute, and it is a great way to show your support for this podcast.